We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up? Another one. A loss. Another loss. We didn't record after Saturday's loss to the Bucks. We were hoping this would be a bounce-back win. Did not happen. The Nets dropped one to the Sixers at home, 117-111. Before we jump in, though, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But, Jack, I'm going to pass it over to you. Where do you want to start? All right, Nick, what went wrong in the second half? The the Nets had a 68-64 to 64 lead at the half. By the way, guys, I, I was asleep. You know, the game starts at 6 a.m. Uh, so this is what happens occasionally on the pod when Nick and I don't get to catch it. We back and forth it. I'll be watching the replay later. Well, uh, I've already been requested for a Nicholas Claxton breakdown. But, Nick, what happened in that second half that caused the, the Nets to essentially blow this one? Yeah, I don't think you had a lot of confidence after the first half, but they did win. They had some good moments. But in that second half, Philly just turned up the heat defensively. They did a great job pressuring the Nets. Ben Simmons, Matisse Thybul, Richardson, pretty much everyone on the Sixers just played aggressive and played strong. And the Nets on the other end were not aggressive. They didn't react well to the pressure Philly put on them, specifically in that fourth quarter where they had just one of those fourth quarter droughts where they couldn't score a bucket. I think it was a couple minutes. I don't know the exact number, but just – Lack of aggression, confidence, and then consistently making dumb basketball plays, either offensively or defensively. You know, it'd be passing to somebody in the corner where they're going to get trapped by the Sixers or they're one-on-one with Ben Simmons or not making the switch quick enough, giving, giving Philly a wide-open bucket. And transition defense in this game was pitiful. That, that was from the start, though. But the entire game, transition defense was not good enough against a team led by Ben Simmons. Exactly. You don't want to give up a bad transition defense to a team that has probably the best fast break player, open court player yeah. in the NBA. And the, the Sixers made the most of that 23 fast break points to the block of the Nets six. I saw, I think it was either, I think it might've been Brian Lewis. Did the Nets have 10 turnovers in the last quarter? 
Yeah, 10 turnovers that led to 10 points for the Sixers, which obviously that's going to lose the game for you. And there was a stretch where it felt like the Nets could not do anything offensively in that fourth quarter, and they were just pressuring him so hard. Dinwiddie was getting a little frustrated. Then Karras came in later in that fourth quarter and kind of eased things. He hit a couple buckets, but it wasn't enough at that time. I felt like Philly got the momentum, and the Nets just didn't look confident. They didn't look aggressive. They just didn't look like a team that was going to win the game. Nothing about the game felt like they were going to win in that fourth quarter, even when it was tied. Sounds a bit like the the previous performance when the Nets went down in the fourth quarter. You know, Sixers certainly turned it on. You know, Ben Simmons, you know, I've always rated him highly. I know plenty of others don't, but he always performs well against the Nets ever since especially last year's playoff series where he just absolutely dominated us in the absence of uh, Joel Embiid for, for a lot of the performances. Nick, five turnovers for Joe Harris in 33 minutes, a guy who isn't a ball handler. What when Joe just doesn't seem to perform well against this physical, sizable Philadelphia 76ers team? They do a great job running him off the three line. You know, it's like even when he gets the ball and he's about to take a three, he'll go up and he'll realize like, oh, shit, Richardson and Thibault is about to block the shot. I need to drop it off. There was one instance where I think he hit Jared Allen either in the chest or the head because he wasn't ready. Everyone kind of expected him to shoot. And then there was a couple times where it was like a little bit on Joe getting in a bad position, but also his teammates not helping him out. And I think that was an issue, too, is like guys would get locked down because their defender was either bigger or more athletic than them, and they had nowhere to go with the ball, and it, there was no net that kind of cut over and made an easy access. Some credit goes to Philly, but some goes on the nets where, like, you know Philadelphia is going to do this. You need to watch where you put yourself on the court. Yeah, I guess the the savviness and, and the reactivity and the proactivity more like it needs to to really get better from the nets, especially against these really good teams. We'll, we'll go through the starters. Basketball IQ really stuck out, Jack. Like in this game, there was just so many. And I mean, it's been a consistent thing and you don't notice it as much against bad teams. But when you start playing better competition, it sticks out a lot. And that's been a real issue for the Nets. Communication and basketball IQ. They're two things that consistently stick out. And they're areas that can improve. And we expect them to improve kind of uh, across the season. It just hasn't happened. How could it have improved tonight, I guess, against the Sixers? I think just switches in general. Like, you see guys calling switches. I think, uh, I want to say, someone pointed out on Twitter over the last couple days talking about switches a lot. And so I paid a little bit more attention today. And you'll see a net call a switch, and the other guy either will not listen or he'll react, like, two seconds too late and then all of a sudden they're going to get an open three and it's not like philly has the best three-point shooters but it just puts you at a disadvantage and it felt like defensively the nets were always at a disadvantage in this game whether it was transition defense a mismatch another thing the nets do terribly and this is something that good teams do a really good job on specifically this stuck out over over uh, golden state's dynasty because they played so much small ball they do a great job switching off ball where hey al horford had spencer doing in the post Jared Allen realizes that he'll call over and they'll make that switch while someone else is at the top of the key and they can't react fast enough if your team's in sync. But the Nets are just not a team that's in sync. And they, they don't honestly, it doesn't seem like they think of doing things like that. Yeah, I think sometimes I can, I've mentioned the word dumb sometimes, but, and it seems to me, it might be a little bit harsh, but that's just how it seems sometimes. But, and, and as well, one thing that's probably maybe a little bit more frustrating is, the fact that without DJ in this lineup, the Nets can play switchable defense, you know, pretty easily. You know, Jared Allen, you know, I put a, a post out yesterday or to the start of today, um, American Eastern Standard Time, where he switched onto Giannis and got him on the perimeter and got the block. Nicholas Claxton has that acumen as well, despite the fact that he probably could have, he got bodied a few times tonight, as you told me, from Ben Simmons. 
it just seems to me that you know that leadership and communication certainly does lack probably a little bit too much for this team and you know that needs to to lift sooner rather than later because you know at the end of the day I think the the fullest iteration of this side on the defensive end is a side that plays good switchable defense you know you look at Essentially, everyone on the roster, they have athleticism to an extent. They have a little bit of size about them. They're quick enough on the perimeter. You know, Joe Harris probably struggles a little bit. But other than that, you know, Carol Savert, Spencer Dimwitty, you know, Kevin Durant when he comes back, you know, um, it, it, it makes for an easier schematic way to defend, especially against the elite teams. Yeah, and I think just all like the communication really sticks out. And then transition defense, like there's just so many things that are so small with this team that they need to clean up these small details and they don't do it. And I think some of it's on the players, some of it's on the coaching for getting after them. But they also play the lineup today, Jack. The second unit was mostly, you know, Karis Levert, TLC, uh, Rodion's Musa, Nick Claxton. So you're playing, you know, pretty much half the Nets G League team and then a whole bunch of young guys who I wouldn't call any of them vets. Karras is the closest thing, but he hasn't even logged a ton of NBA games with the injuries he's had. So some it's like the roster, but some it's just like you guys can't do this at the NBA level. Yeah, dude, those minutes need to be staggered at all today, Nick, or was it okay in terms of the rotations from Kenny? The young guys actually played really well in the first half. Like, they, that second unit actually gave the Nets a lead. You know, Philly kind of capitalized them in the second half, knowing that, you know, they lacked ball handlers. They're going to be a little bit, you know, risky with the ball and not make the best decisions. But I thought they played as well as they could, given the expectations for such a young unit. And uh, Garrett Temple was back today. I didn't really feel it was a great game for Garrett Temple. I don't know why that popped in my head. I'm just so used to him playing in the second unit. It just felt like his impact was 0% felt. And I feel like they could have used him just as that secondary playmaker sometimes or just a confident three-point shooter. But it goes to Philly, you know, playing really good defense. But I still think the Nets made a lot of mistakes. Yeah, Temple, two points, three rebounds, an assist, a steal, one or four from the field in 20 minutes of game time. You know, I think they're sort of trying to feel him back a little bit. You know, Karis Levert, 29 minutes. It's the most minutes that I can remember we've, we've seen him playing since he's been back. So his minutes are certainly logging up. But we'll get to the other starters, Nick. Uh, I think everyone who has at least watched some form of Nets game, it's funny, though, listening to general NBA commentators speaking about Torian Prince, they, especially after those Kyrie comments, they're like, Torian Prince has been outstanding for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, you guys need to listen to the Brooklyn Buzz. Nick, how was uh, Torian Prince today? Another double-double, but I'm going to guess from what I've seen on Nets Twitter that it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Yeah, and I feel like I was a culprit of that last season or the last couple seasons with Torian Prince where I watched him in Atlanta and I'd happen to watch the game where he played really well or just the moments where he stuck out. And I think he'll do that to you. Where in the first half of this game, he had some really nice moments. He was aggressive driving to the rim. He had a couple nice defensive plays, but then he has the defensive lapses. He's a guy who is terrible with the communication. Ball watches way too much. Transition defense isn't great. Takes an unnecessary risk defensively sometimes, and it just drives you nuts. You know, offensively, I didn't think it was a bad game from him, but defensively, he was exposed, and obviously some of that is him having to match up with Al Horford, who obviously has a weight on him. But Our boy Madden AQ said that Wilson Chandler should start in his place. Agree? Disagree? Uh, I'm not sure Wilson Chandler's the answer. I might be more open to Rodion's. And one thing that concerns me with Chandler is just, like, his mobility. He's not the quickest guy. He does have that size, though, and maybe you can get away with it with Jared Allen. I wouldn't be opposed to it. You know, I think Torian Prince might need, I don't want to say a wake-up wake call, but some change in his rotation or minutes to kind of get him back to playing a high level defensively. I think too many players in the Nets play okay or mediocre defense at times, but none of them, like, turned up to a level. Like, we saw Philly turn it up to a different level in that fourth quarter, and you hardly ever see that from the Nets. You hardly ever see the other team have to feel them. 
Yeah, I think Jared Allen is the only guy that can essentially ramp up that defense to an elite level. Dimwitty is an okay defender and can be an above-average defender. Garrett Temple, the same. Joe Harris just gives energy. He's just essentially like a straight line across. You know, he provides an equilibrium. You know, Rodion's courts can, I guess, be you know up and down to an extent. But the Nets have very good defenders, and especially with some of the injuries that we've got as well, even though most of those guys are, are, are on the offensive end. Speaking of Jarrett Nick, a, a double-double for him. You know, a block, a steal, a couple of dimes. Was this a decent performance from the young big man? Yeah, I thought it was a solid game for him. I mean, they asked him to defend Ben Simmons a lot of the game, which is just a tough ask because I think I don't want to disrespect Giannis because I think he's probably the best player in the NBA. NBA. But Ben Simmons plays the game from more of an intellectual level, and I feel like he was able to take advantage of Jared Allen a little bit more. Obviously, Giannis had an amazing game against Jared Allen too, but Ben Simmons would put him in actions in ways that he just wasn't used to kind of going around screens or something like that. So I didn't think it was a bad game from Jared Allen. He had a couple nice blocks, you know, offensively did a couple things, had a couple big oops in that fourth quarter. It wasn't like one I'm going to be like, oh, this is a big-time Jared Allen game. Also not one where I'm going to say it was a bad Jared Allen game. Yeah, I'm just hoping that when DeAndre Jordan is back that Jared Allen continues to get 30 minutes a night because even when he's bad, you know, or even when he's average, not, not at his best, he gets a double-double, impacts on both ends of the floor. Whereas, you know, DeAndre Jordan, you need to be asking 20 minutes out of him. You know, give him 20 minutes, give us all you can on the boards, give us all you can on the defensive end. You know, obviously we've seen that he can't necessarily hold up to the riggers. Don't be giving him 25 minutes a night, Kenny. Don't take those minutes away from a young spry guy who can play quality defense and quality offense, you know, especially in the pick and roll. I really am a massive fan of Jared Allen's pick and roll game and how that has developed and how his screening has got a lot smarter too. Uh, his pick and roll partner, Spencer Dimity, Nick, had to lead the game again in Kyrie's absence. How did he go? You know, it started off as a solid game. He was attacking, getting downhill, hit a couple threes. And then next thing you know, he was, you know, starting to try to look for contact. Philly did get away with a couple fouls on him. But, you know, the aggressive team's going to get away with fouls more than the team was kind of playing, you know, soft, I guess is not probably the right word, but the word I'm going to go with there. And he just missed a couple layups at the rim too. You know, it just wasn't a clean, fresh game. And you kind of know this, like, Dinwiddie, I think, gets in his own head and, like, things start going wrong and then he can't, like, balance himself out and continue to play at a high level. He kind of lets it all kind of pile on. Yeah, basketball can be a real mental game and, and, and staying out of your head and trying to be present and, and just play the game one play at a time is, is easier said than done. But, you know, we needed him tonight. He's, he had a decent enough night when you're looking at the, the box score, 22 points, seven assists, five rebounds, had a steal as well. Did have five turnovers, but, you know, the team had 22 overall. And for Dimity to have five, I guess, of those, it's, it's I guess, an acceptable number of sorts. But um, let's get to the bench. I felt I like, uh, I'll just say this on Spencer real quick. I felt like in that fourth quarter, Karras came in the game and he started to get things going a little bit. And he also, the defense wasn't giving him the same attention Dinwiddie was getting probably. And instead of letting Karras kind of continue to do his thing in that fourth, there was like two possessions he took to himself and either tried the pick and roll or ISO. And it led to nothing. And I feel like that really disrupted the flow. Because when Karras came back in, the Nets where I want to say were down like seven or nine, they got it back down the four and they had some momentum. And I felt like he almost disru disrupted their momentum. Interesting. Uh, your boy Karras then, Nick, you know, 29 minutes, you know, the the, military, the minutes have been elevated, as I mentioned, 6 to 16 from the field, 16 points, 6 dimes, got some boards as well, 6 boards. How is Karras, you know, uh, is he starting to you know, get back into his form because we've seen some, you know, up and down performances from him, as we sort of expected, because we were quite shocked about how, how well he just sort of fit in, but how was he tonight? 
felt like he had some layups he missed at the rim. He easily could have probably been 10 to 16 tonight if he was fully in rhythm and in sync. There's a couple that stick out. There's a couple plays where he probably got fouled too. One specifically at the end that the refs didn't call. Al Horford was like on top of his shoulder. But overall, I thought it was a pretty good game from Karras, especially having to lead that second unit, not really having any veterans or help out there. So I didn't think, again, similar to Jared Allen, I didn't think this was an amazing Karras Levert game. I didn't think it was a bad one. I thought it was solid. And it's one in a stepping stone getting back to the form we expect from him. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, when Kyrie is back, there is a bit more of a, a synergy, you know, when he is back, hopefully. Obviously, the hamstring injury today had him out. Nick Claxton was the highlight, Nick. You'd rave about him. I'm going to, I'm looking forward to doing yeah, another breakdown of Claxton. He had a three tonight as well. Yeah, he had some nice chemistry with Karis LeVert, too. I thought those guys vibe well, and he had a nice read on Karis LeVert when he was driving to the rim, and even when he missed a layup. Claxton was there to kind of pick it up. And I just love, you know, I can look at the stats and they're great. You know, he scored 15 points, 6-8 from the field, knocked down a three-pointer. You know, he was tenacious on the boards. But his aggression and just the feel he brings to the Nets team is something they solely lack. And I think having him out there is important. And I think Kenny needs to find a way to play him more minutes with DeAndre back, with DeAndre out, whatever it is. I think he has to look at playing Claxton with another center at times because he also is a guy that can help clean up some of the defensive mistakes, having that speed, that athleticism, the aggression, and then also just the length. Like he's a super long guy. All of a sudden you're putting out two giant wingspans with Jared Allen and Nick Claxton it just got a lot harder to score at the rim. I would I would salivate at the prospect of seeing Claxton and Allen in the same lineup. I mean, we saw probably uh, a few times earlier in the season uh, Claxton and, and Jordan playing a little bit together because, you know, Claxton could sort of make up for, for DJ's mistakes, like you're sort of mentioning there. But to have Claxton and Allen, you know, it's almost like they, they cancel each other out in some respects. But, you know, I put out the other day, uh, when Claxton had that big, massive performance, you know, how has Claxton, like, overtaken Jared Allen in terms of, you know, his skill set and what he can bring on the floor? And, you know, I, I did, I posed the question. I didn't say it, I posed the question. And, you know, it, it garnered a bit of reaction. But these sort of games make you think, man, damn, damn this kid is special. And, you know, I've, I've said it a million times when it comes to rookies, I think I've said on the outlet quite a bit, all you want to see from rookies is flashes. And then you can go, okay, this is what he can be in the NBA. We're already seeing that and in sustained bursts from a really, really special young player. And, you know, what he provides on the floor, what he provides, you know, the fan base and, you know, times where we're having some some pretty tough times, we can go, all right, well, we've got this kid, Nicholas Claxton, who we got with the second round pick. Sean Marks has done it again there. There might be some tough decisions in the future surrounding our big man situation because, unfortunately, DeAndre Jordan is is locked in and he signed in for, for the next three years uh, beyond this one. But Nicholas Claxton, uh, he's doing everything he can to be in those minutes. And hopefully we continue to see that because uh, he is a bright, bright prospect. Yeah, you talked about the flashes today. Obviously, the three flash. Hitting a three ball, I think, is important for his confidence. First career three, one way for him to definitely get on the floor. But another thing that stuck out, top of the key, one-on-one with Jonah Bolden, you know, obviously not an elite NBA player by any standard, took him off the dribble, took the contact, and finished at the rim. That's just impressive from somebody that size, and I think that's an area where he can kind of help the Nets offense at times, especially that second unit, because most bigs aren't going to be either as long as him, and if they are as long, they're probably going to be slower. Yeah, and in that sense, he knows the strengths and the weaknesses of his game. And I think that's a really positive sort of thing. Uh, the other guys on the bench, Nick, Rodion's, uh, Musa, and TLC. What did they give? You know, uh, four or four from the field from TLC. When he hits that three ball, you know, he seems to look quite nice. And, you know, I like his stroke. 
Yeah, he looked solid today. He His shot was on. You know, he was knocking on three ball. I thought he was solid. A couple times got switched on the Ben Simmons. Obviously, he doesn't have the muscle or the length to match up with him. That's really the issue. Musa had a couple okay plays. He got hit in the eye in this game, and that was kind of – he got hit in the eye by Ben Simmons' pinky. And it, like, took him down for a couple minutes because it, like, actually must have grazed his eyeball. Then his eye was, like, flickering. He came back in the game, missed both free throws. But, I mean – Musa, I think, you know, we know what he is right now. He's not ready to get NBA rotation minutes. Occasionally, he'll have a flash play. Tonight, he really didn't have that against a good defensive team. And Rodion's was kind of quiet. It reminded me of last year in the playoff series. Like, Rodion's really just didn't have any moments in that series. He really didn't have any moments in this game other than knocking down a three and then Ben Simmons kind of locking him up in the corner. Yeah, and in that sense, you know, Rodons is going to have those moments. You know, he it's probably a reason why he hasn't earned the, the consistency with these minutes, but, you know, 17 minutes is, is fine enough for me. But in the absence of Chandler and, and DJ and, and Kyrie, I mean, we'll get to Kyrie a little bit later, Nick, but one thing I wanted to touch on was the, the poor free-throw shooting from the Brooklyn Nets, 22 of 34. They got to the line 34 times. Yeah, it's disgusting. I mean, they lost the game right there, and it's not like – you know, this was DeAndre Jordan going 2 of 10 from the line, something you might see. It's just like guys missing across the board. This team needs to knock down free throws, especially because they're not playing at a high level of basketball. They need to take advantage of the free ones. Yeah, the, and it can essentially change a game. You know, the Sixers have plenty of themselves. They had 20 of 27, a little bit more of a respectable mark near that sort of, you know, 20, uh, 75% range. But uh, Nick, any more on this performance? We get, we get to some uh, Kyrie comments with a capital K. Yeah, I think I was a little bit disappointed in Kenny Atkinson in this game because it really finished pretty similar to what happened in that fourth quarter of the previous match with Philly last week. He didn't make adjustments. He didn't try to go bigger, even though Philly was killing them with size. I thought maybe, like, you know, Joe Harris wasn't having an amazing game or, you know, Torian Prince, like, one one of those guys maybe sub them out or maybe try to go with, like, Torian Prince and Rodion's trying to give yourself some more length out there. I just felt like he didn't make an adjustment. He just kind of expected the guys to play better. And I think some of it, yeah, they definitely could have played better. But some of it also is, like, they're in a disadvantage automatically because of the size Philadelphia has. Not that the Nets can match up with that, but he could have done a better job with that. And also I think there's times of like, hey, you're putting out one ball handler or one guy out there and then all of a sudden they're pressuring them. I think he needs to have these guys a little bit more prepared to deal with Philly and have some sets ready. And maybe you need to be a little bit more controlling of a coach at times, especially with Kyrie not out there. And I feel like they could have used Kenny. Kenny could have done a better job coaching today. Yeah, and in that sort of sense, we've seen him do that when it comes to, to the young guys and sort of making his impact, making his presence felt. But it seems to me like we have this more somewhat experienced lineup in terms of the, the key guys in the rotation, guys that have been around for a while and, and have proved themselves in this league. So they've earned these these runs under their belt. And Kenny is sort of just like, all right, let's let these guys run it out a little bit. Whereas it's just like, look, doesn't matter if you're a young guy or an old guy. If you're playing bad basketball, make the adjustments. And in that sort of sense, Coach Kenny needs to be a little bit better. But Nick, I think Claxton it, should have played at the end of this game. I think it actually would have made an impact. And it's a little rash. Like, I get it. He's a rookie. But the Nets were getting killed by the size. And pretty much if Jared Allen was on Ben Simmons and Al Horford was going to get an open shot in the lane. Not that I think Nick Claxton would be able to lock up Al Horford, but I think he probably would have been a, done a better job than Torian Prince. Well, I mean, four offensive rebounds, and they were all of his boards, Nicholas Claxton. Those sort of plays late in the game really give you a bit of extra energy. And it just gives you an extra set. You know, he would have maybe got a, got a put back here or there. You know, we saw against uh, the Miami Heat, those sort of plays, the offensive boards really gave the Nets some energy and, and led them home. So I think you need one of those guys out there 
for when the, the offense does get bogged down that can just create something. You know, Rodion's can sort of do that. Claxon can sort of do that. Joe Harris can do that on occasion too. Those guys that can just give you an energy play which can lift the team rather than sort of just, you know, dribbling the ball out, pick and roll, getting locked down by a, a superior defensive team in the sixes. Yeah. It just I think it was just really a frustrating loss. I'm I'm sure most of the people listening who watch the game are just frustrated. And it's been like a continuation pretty much since Christmas that they've I think they're two and eleven since then. So it's been a real struggle. So Nick, is Kyrie Irving uh mlk mlk day today let's uh, celebrate our very own version of it with Kyrie irving oh god no he is not and i will not disrespect the day obviously a huge day in american history and the civil rights for people across the country but obviously Kyrie compared himself to martin luther king which is crazy i don't like i think Kyrie is just one of those guys that just like keeps talking and then like things pop in his head and he doesn't even like think of it makes sense he just continues to like spit it out of his mouth it's like when you have that one friend that just like keeps talking and talking and like at one point you know he's just talking and what he says doesn't make any sense i feel like that's Kyrie irving yeah jackie mcmullen has described it perfectly he's a stream of consciousness speaker he just speaks and whatever is in there it comes out and the quote for those who didn't see it uh, and i'm sure plenty have already done that he said when i was out for those seven weeks not saying anything and still people are saying things about me it's inevitable they crucified martin luther king for speaking about peace and social integration i mean yeah that's right if you if you take those quotes like individually if you didn't actually reference mlk in the same sentence as himself that it would have been a lot better. It would have been just talking about, you know, um, MLK Day and all the amazing things that he did for the civil rights movement uh, in your wonderful country, Nick. But, you know, I think that I spoke about on JBT this week about the, the initial comments relating to, you know, him leaving out some of the guys. And then he did apologize and, and sort of owned up to it in the locker room. And Jared Allen said he didn't really care at all. I said that, you know, there was a little bit of an overblown reaction to it. These sort of comments make me just go like, Oh, come on, man. And in that sense, you know, I think we we are not immune from, you know, criticizing Kyrie. You know, I think for the most part out of NBA fans and, and pundits in general, we, you know, at OTG and, and for the most part, we get we like to get a bit emotional and, and stuff sometimes, but we are relatively measured and can see both sides of it. But there isn't two sides to this this dumb comment from Kyrie Irving. It's just, you know, I, I've said before that he does have an elevated, you know, sense of self. And he deserves to have that. He is a very talented basketball player. But there is no way he is MLK. He's not an all-timer in terms of basketball either. I mentioned that on, on the JBT pod too. He's a very, very good one and a very, very popular one. But sometimes he just lacks a, a self-awareness that you know puts his foot in his own mouth. In fact, putting both of his feet in his own mouth half the time, it seems. Yeah, it feels like, honestly, I don't think he meant that. Like, I don't think he meant to compare himself to Martin Luther King. That's just, like, the first thing that popped in his head. And then just, like, putting it all in this segment, it's like, use a better example of something <laughs> on a way lower scale that is not as important, not only in U.S. history, but I think across the world. Like, it's just, like, why? Just don't, just don't do it, especially when you know that people are going to overanalyze every comment you make to the highest extent. Yeah, and I mean, Nick, the, the last time the Nets want to title or were, were, were successful they had an irving in the locker room well that one i'm okay with because i know yeah. i know he's joking like obviously yeah. i would say the same thing of like oh well you know last time there was a fay on this team <laughs> you know what i mean like i think that's a funny like statement and i feel like people overblown that one that's what i think gets gets fans annoyed because like obviously he was joking and i saw like nba media post that as like a serious comment yep. obviously yeah. it's a joke like come on if you want to analyze some of the other crazy comments he says 
that's okay because he does say some crazy stuff. But if it's something that's like normal and funny that most players or humans would say, calm down. Yeah, I mean, Kyrie for clicks at the end of the day. <laughs> it, 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 it happens. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always like Knicks for clicks, and but literally it's Kyrie for clicks these days. And it's not just, you know, Knicks fans. It is every single person in the NBA world. And, you know, sometimes those clicks are deserved and he deserves to be criticized. And then sometimes it's just like, really? Like, we've got some great basketball and some great players right now. Let's give some media attention to what really needs to happen. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's part of the package with Kyrie Irving, and, and I think we're going to have to get used to it at least somewhat. You know, but it doesn't mean we have to defend it if we don't agree with it either. But hopefully he gets back, and this, knee, this hamstring injury doesn't mean much. I mean, who knows? And he gets back, and he's performing to an incredibly high level, like we saw from that first game back and like we saw at earlier points in the season, because the Nets need him soon. The Nets need him back, and we've got the Lakers next. There's no chance we're probably going to win that without Kyrie Irving and his sort of superstar talents on display. Uh, but yeah, Kyrie Irving, uh, a walking quote machine. Yeah, and I mean, just talking about the Nets in general, Kyrie's uh, attention for whatever he says is kind of taking some of the attention off the Nets, and they're losing ways, and they're currently only three games up on the ninth seed. You know, the Chicago Bulls are about to catch the Nets, which is just yep. something I'd never imagined saying this season. Like, I thought the Bulls would play better and they'd have a better record. I still didn't imagine saying that. The Nets are 18-24. and 24, The Bulls are three games back. The Nets are only a game and a half behind Orlando. But this season is kind of almost starting to feel like worst-case scenario that we talked about on the NBA outlet. Yeah, in, in that sense, you know, I think that the, the inconsistency of having a healthy roster doesn't hurt, doesn't help, sorry. And we do have an okay stretch coming up, you know, after this big, Lakers Big game. stretch, to be honest. Yeah, and I mean, you know, those are games you need to lock down. I mean, I would love to actually win against the Lakers. That would be nice. But then, yeah, Pistons, Knicks, Pistons, Bulls, Wizards. You know, that Bulls game will be really, really important to sort of you know, elevate ourselves a little bit, give ourselves a little more breathing room, which we, we thought we necessarily had. But, you know, this really poor recent stretch has, has left us on our toes a little bit as Nets fans. But... Any other comments, Nick? You know, I think we could speak about Kyrie for, for days and days and days. You know, it's, it feels like it's been a while since we've done this, but we put out that much content. Uh, sometimes, you know, when you have like a one or two day break, it's just like, oh, wow, we're doing a buzz again. Yeah, I think we're about to have the same thing again because the Nets don't play again until Thursday against the Lakers. So going to have some time to dwell on this loss. And also those Pistons matchups are going to be pretty big too because it looks like the Pistons are only three games back. The Hornets are only four games back. So, Honestly, the Nets need to start winning games. They've had this really bad stretch. It's been out of sync. Shooting hasn't been great. I think a whole bunch of factors have gone wrong, like you mentioned, with the health. But they need to find a way to turn things around. Big time, big time, big time. Uh, I'll give a shout-out to my guy, Nick Boylan, at, at Nick Boylan at OTG Basketball. He compared <laughs> Kyrie to Kanye. Nice shoes and great at what he does, but when he talks, ellipses. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a really good comparison. I, really I like don't think one. Kyrie has gotten that bad, though. Oh, he's, he's, he's borderline there. No, it's like uh, Kanye is like a whole nother level, especially with his whole Donald Trump thing this past year. Yeah. And like, yeah. Kanye's like, I'm not trying to even like say mental health, but like, I think Kanye needs to like go see some help because he's no, he, just he, outlandish. Yeah, he has said that, like, you know, a lot of, like, his previous album, not this really jesus weird one, he said, like, you know, he's he's got bipolar, he has, he's had to deal with that, but in terms of the comments, like, the the specific comments that are blown out of proportion or not blown out of proportion and deserve the, the sort of criticism, you know, the Kyrie Flat Earth comments are always going to linger with him to the day that he dies, and that is one of the, the stupidest things I've ever heard a sportsman or athlete say, and then... 
try to like make out that like, oh no, I was kind of be like fake woke sort of thing. And then he's just like, oh, okay, uh, I realized that this was a dumb thing to say. And then he backtracks a little bit and then, you know, he, he does his own thing and then he compares himself to MLK and, you know, uh, hopefully we, we let, we see Kyrie's basketball do the talking. Yeah. The hopefully we talk about basketball more and less quotes. I mean, as, if we get those clicks, Nick, Kyrie for clicks, you know, you keep listening to the episode. We'll talk about Kyrie as much as you want, guys. Yeah, I mean, if that's what you guys want, we prefer to talk about basketball. If, we, if that's what you want, you know, let us know. But as always, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OGGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.